Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Angel Deer is a medicine man and offers his work on sacred land through shamanic healing, energy healing, sound healing, breath work, plant medicine, and workshops and events. The Sanctuary is a community for all those who seek healing transformation, ancient wisdom, and a place to come together to create a new way of living and relating. This is the Sanctuary Podcast, and this is Angel Deer. So, good morning, uh, everyone. I am uh, very happy to uh, record this podcast today uh, with uh, Jerry Brown. Uh, who is a co-author of the Psychedelic Gospels, and I'm going to introduce Jerry. And we are going to talk about a fascinating subject, which is uh, the sacred history of hallucinogens or anteogens in Christianity, especially in early Christianity. And uh, I just want to share that uh, I discovered uh, Jerry's book uh, quite recently. In fact, I heard about it. Uh, many people told me I should read it, and I finally uh, bought it over the summer. And it happened that I was visiting uh, a big cathedral that summer uh, in Burgundy uh, from the town of uh, my family is, origin, uh, is originally from. And here I am visiting the cathedral, and I fall into the presence of that massive uh, mural of uh, glasswork that was covered uh, with uh, what I believe was Amanita muscaria of fly agaric. And those mushrooms were all over uh, this glasswork and they were in interesting positions, you know, kind of the Christ looking at them or praying to them or angels, you know, looking at them. So I could see they were just not elements of decoration. They were clearly put in a place that was quite significant on the murals. And I'm talking a mural that was probably, you know, around 20 meters tall, like around 60 foot uh, by six or seven meters large. So around 18 foot. So something quite significant. And there was many of them uh, in this cathedral. So I decided mm-hmm. to, I say, I need to talk to Jerry. And so I found Jerry's detail online. So here we are, uh, here we are. with Jerry today. So very nice meeting you, Jerry. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, France is a place where we really had our aha moment, uh, where we found many images of psychedelics, uh, including in the stained glass windows of Chartres Cathedral. So, uh, but this is a really wonderful discovery you've made. And um, definitely, Julie and I will, my co-author wife, Julie and I will certainly follow up on it. Wonderful. So before we start, Jerry, I just want to properly introduce you and, and you know, uh, say a little bit of who you are. So uh, you have a PhD, you are an anthropologist, author and activist. Uh, from 1972 to 2014, you served as founding professor of anthropology at Florida International University in Miami, uh, where you designed and taught a course on hallucinogens and culture. And you also wrote on psychedelics and religion. You're the co-author of the Psychedelic Gospels, uh, The Secret History of Hallucinogens in Christianity, uh, that you published in 2016. 
and also of Antiogenin Christenhart, Wesson, Allegro, and the Psychedelic Gospels, uh, something you published in the Journal of Psychedelic Studies uh, in 2019. And I've also seen recently uh, a publication you made in a, in a journal online uh, about uh, pushing for the legalization of psychedelics and especially of uh, uh, psilocybin mushrooms. And so... Correct. Uh, that's all subjects, you know, for us in shamanic work, you know, working with intelligence is something that's very sacred, that's very important, that's part of many cultures, you know, uh, shamans and medicine men I train with in North America, South America and Europe know about those plants, uh, about their power, that's uh, something that's been around for probably tens of thousands of years, uh, but here you are. Uh, you know, on this very interesting subjects to bring that back into the big religion, at least Christianity, and say, hey, there might be a link here. It might be presence of antiogens at the early stage of Christianity, uh, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. Uh, so can you tell me first a little bit more about what called you into that? What got you interested into that subject? Sure. Uh, I'd like to bring up some slides if I can on the screen. So let me see if I can do that. And yes. So uh, basically, we've we've looked at the um, cover of our book, uh, which was the outgrowth of our research, the psychedelic gospels. And um, let's see here. I just need to figure out here. I can advance the slides. Okay, so what happened was uh, I started teaching a course on psychedelics and culture at Florida International University in Miami in 1975 after my first LSD trip. Uh -huh. um, and I wanted to learn a lot more about psychedelics. Um, I learned, and in doing that, I learned about ethnobotany, about medieval art history, about theology, about the Christian church. Uh, mushroom identification, and it wasn't until uh, 2006 <clears throat> when Julie and I were visiting Roslyn Chapel in Scotland that we came across uh, this mushroom uh, in sculpted into the forehead of the most prominent green man in Roslyn Chapel, which is a Christian church from the uh, 15th century. It was constructed, started construction about 1440. And at that point, we asked ourselves, what is this Amanita muscaria mushroom with the dots, with the veil, with the bulb, um, which Paul Stamets, one of the world's most foremost mycologists said, this is a taxonomically correct Amanita muscaria mushroom. What is it doing in a Christian church? And so we said, we thought, had many thoughts. Does it exist in other churches? How far back does it go? Can it even go back to the time of Jesus and the disciples? And at that point, we had two major uh, pauses. One was Carl Sagan, the astrophysicist, who said that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Mm -hmm. And this was certainly to say that Christianity had a psychedelic history would certainly be an extraordinary claim. And I also remember the words of my uh, favorite professor, Victor Turner of anthropology, who said, good theory comes from good field work. In other words, we had to go out and collect the data. So in 2012, we 
undertook a uh, trip throughout Europe and the Middle East, uh, visiting all of these sites. We went to England, France, Germany, Italy, Greece, uh, Turkey, and to document and photograph psilocybin and Amanita muscaria mushrooms in churches, cathedrals, abbeys, and, um, and we found a great deal of evidence about this. So I am uh, I'm, I'm curious here, did you have a map already where it was uh, like registered somewhere or did you just go a little bit random asking people, hey, have you seen mushroom in one of your churches? Yeah, well, it, it certainly wasn't a map on Travelocity or anything like that. Uh, what we did was we researched the literature and we found other scholars, we're not the first mm -hmm. by any means, who had documented and taken photographs. But the problem with the photographs on the internet is sometimes they're corrupted, sometimes they're not accurate, sometimes they're distorted. So it was often hard to tell. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, we would ask people along the way and we would collect stories from local people who would say, you know, go to this church or look at this abbey somewhere that's off the beaten path. Uh -huh. And then uh, certain times we would read about things and other times photographs that people had that they said were mushrooms were not. Uh, when we looked at them with closer inspection. So it was a combination. This is in a small chapel, just 20 feet wide by 60 feet deep in the center of France called the Chapel of Plain Keralt. It's from the 13th century. And what we have here is a giant Amanita muscaria mushroom, the one that you've seen in Scandinavian folk tales and around Christmas cards sometimes with the red and white, red cap with white dots another cluster of mushrooms around the base. And here we have the snake offering some fruit to eat them, to, to Eve. Whatever this is, and you have two historical moments here. You have the Garden of Eden and the temptation, but you also have that Adam and Eve are covering themselves. You have the fact that they have already ingested the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. And whatever these caps are, or coverings on Adam and Eve, they're certainly not the jagged lines of fig leaves. We also see that Eve is skeletonized, which means she's undertaken a shamanic journey of death and rebirth. So this was one of the first big discoveries that we've made, and we discuss it very much in our book and also in our article, because this was the focal point of a landmark controversy in the history of psychedelics and culture between Gordon Wasson and uh, John Allegro. So, so tell me, Jerry, here, were you at some point, you know, when you see that, so you see here uh, a very important part of the Christian history or, you know, of the scriptures, which is, you know, the depicting of the story of Genesis. Adam and Eve yes. sitting next to each other. And in between them, you have this gigantic mushroom uh, with the snakes that climbs over it. Uh, you're touching as really some kind of very foundational stories and interpretation of what, you know, the Garden of Eden was about, what Genesis is about, what the symbolism is about. Were you ever concerned, you know, going into this, oh my God, we are going to kind of shake and maybe some really big, powerful people or institutions here, and we are going to be criticized left and right 
for maybe this journey we are going onto here? Yeah. Oh, we definitely thought about this. We definitely knew that if we confirmed this research, that it would be controversial. Mm -hmm. uh, however, we did not set out to challenge anybody's faith in Christianity. Mm -hmm. Rather, we believe what we've done is reveal the, <clears throat> the roots of Christianity in these sacred plants, which is a mystery that's shared with all of the world's major religions. And that has been now well-documented, and I'll, I'll come to that. But certainly we were concerned about it. Uh -huh. But the other side of the coin was, given that what I knew about anthropology and about ethnobotany, about the role of sacred plants in history, and given my wife, Julie, who had a great deal of psychedelic experience and was a psychotherapist who researched sacred plants in history, we felt that we would not, we would regret it the rest of our life if we didn't go out and try to document this. Mm -hmm. And so we were concerned about these things, but as we felt we had to pursue the truth, no matter where it led us, even if it went into the uh, sacred halls of Christianity. Yeah, the coding was stronger. And I like what you say, it was not about disproving anybody's face. It was kind of adding a layer to it and maybe some other possibilities. Yes. So here, two hours drive east of Plain Corral in southern France, we come to the parish church of St. Martin de Vic. Uh, and there were a series of murals on the wall from the 12th century. And these were, uh, we, we were looking at here, a whole story of Christ's life, which is portrayed on the walls. And what we see here is a very famous scene, Christ's entry into Jerusalem at the time of Passover, shortly before his crucifixion. And what you notice here, his disciples are riding behind him. He's riding on the, uh, on the ass as, as per the prophecy. And these joyful youth who are welcoming him and spreading their mantles out before him, they're not holding on to palm leaves. They're holding on to the, uh, one of them is holding on to the stem of a cap of five long, brown, smooth psilocybin mushrooms. And when we saw this and we looked at the next wall over, there were the, t Jesus is going towards the towers of Jerusalem. On top of these towers, other youth are cutting down mushrooms, which are also on the table of the Last Supper and also drawn into the hems of the disciple. And it was at this point, it was getting towards uh, late afternoon, the sunlight was coming into the church, everything's time seemed to stop and we had the, this aha moment. And we said, this is a psychedelic gospel. This is an alternative history of Christianity. And perhaps it is not so surprising because Pope Gregory in the sixth century said, let art be the Bible of the illiterate because most of the, of the masses, because most of the people throughout the, the feudal world were illiterate. So it was this moment here where we said, there is a psychedelic gospel here. We have to go out and find more images. 
And so now, could it be here because obviously that scene of uh, Jesus entering Jerusalem or entering you know, the temple has been depicted so many times by different artists. And here you have an artist that choose to depict it very differently with mushrooms. So yes. is there, you know, and I'm sure it is something you have reflected on, is there, you know, a question here about, is it one artist that put his own interpretation here centuries after, because here that church, for example, is from the 12th century, centuries after the event happened, or does this artist, you know, base these on some stories, some old traditions, maybe that were kept alive because it was not kept in the written scriptures, for example? Absolutely. We feel that this, this was not suppressed. We found so many examples mm -hmm. that we realized this was not suppressed. This was secret. This was kept as a secret tradition for the ecclesiastical elite, for with a pagan elite who sponsored many of these churches as well. And so secrecy is not suppression. And this tradition, while it was not everywhere, was certainly perpetuated throughout a variety of artworks. Mm -hmm. And now at this point, Angel, we asked ourselves, well, we've seen certain things here in central France, but what is this? Maybe this is just a marginal cult of hippie priests cavorting in the forests of France away from the church and the crown, we decided <clears throat> that we had to go to the high holy places of Christianity to see if we could find evidence there. And at this point, we went to, this is from Canterbury Cathedral in England. This is from the 12th century. Uh, this is from the great Canterbury Psalter, which is an illuminated prayer book which has many richly drawn images with gold uh, leaf uh, in the opening of the prayer book. And here we see that um, in the third scene from Genesis, God is not creating plants, he's creating psychedelic mushrooms. Here is the red and white Amanita muscaria. Here's the blue psilocybin mushroom because as we know, when you oxidize or expose psilocybin to air, um, it turns characteristically blue. And here are other, uh, what could be varieties of psilocybin uh, mushrooms embedded into the cap of this mushroom here. And this looks like it could be a paneolus psilocybin containing mushroom. We went on to uh, also very interesting, in this uh, image here of um, from the Great Canterbury Psalter, I want to try to bring this down here. Let me do this. We see Jesus, now he is out on his mission after having been baptized, healing the leper. And here, the scroll, which is in Latin, which we had translated, goes from Jesus to the leper, and it says, may, may I heal you? And the leper says, yes, master, heal me. But the scroll of the leper is not going up to Jesus. It's going on to this psychedelic psilocybin mushroom here, showing the role of psychedelic mushrooms in healing. And as you know, and we know from studies of shamanism, one of the prominent and, and preeminent and fundamental uses of shamanism is for healing. 
You're listening to The Sanctuary Podcast with Angel Deer. While you're listening, browse the website at www.thesanctuaryheal.com. Yes, and even here I would say you, you really have Jesus as a medicine man, as a shaman. You know, that's coming, exactly. people coming exactly. to him. So for those of you listening on the podcast, you really have Jesus' hand on the head of the leopards. That question coming from the leopard, you know, or, you know, sorry, from Jesus asking the leopard, hey, can, you know, do you need healing here? And the leopard answering through the plant medicine. So, you know, connected to the mushroom, which is really typically what a shamanic ceremony, a plant medicine ceremony would be with his assistant, yes. you know, with, uh, with, with all his assistant behind him here. Yes. And now you see, particularly from your shamanic background, we started to look at this artwork through shamanic eyes, through psychedelic eyes. Mm-hmm. And you can also ask yourself, why did the theologians of the Catholic Church, why did the art historians, medieval art historians, who've looked at this work for you know hundreds of years, not see this? It's because they're not trained to look for mushrooms. They mm-hmm. think these are plants. Mm-hmm. And this, now, as we started to see this, it started to give us confidence in that we were c- gathering compelling evidence of psychedelics in Christian history. Mm-hmm. This image here, this is a fascinating image. This is from St. Michael's Church in um, Hildesheim, Germany. And in the other cases, we don't know who did this artwork. Was it the artist? Was it the church fathers who commissioned the work? Was it the uh, elite who funded the work? Or was it all three collaborating together? Mm-hmm. Here, we know who made this bronze casting. It's actually a Christ column, 12 feet high, two feet in diameter. And there's a helix that goes around it, showing the stages of important events in, in Jesus's life, from the baptism by John, to his entry into Jerusalem. This is a fascinating scene, the transfiguration of Christ, in which Jesus appears here. His ancient biblical figures are here. His disciples are here under these psychoactive liberty cap mushrooms that are drawn, actually cast in bronze so precisely that ethnobotanists can tell what variety they are. And this is important because this is one of two miracles in the Bible where Jesus does not perform the miracle, but the miracle is performed to him. The clouds open and God said, this is my son, hear him well. Mm-hmm. In this case, the this casting was made by Bishop Bernard in about 1015. And he was a very important figure in Christendom. He was the the tutor to Otto III, who became the Holy Roman Emperor, and Bishop Bernard himself was sainted a hundred years after his death by the Catholic Church. So do we know, you know, in that case, for example, here we are, you know, in the 11th century, over a thousand years ago, um, do we know if uh, that bishop, for example, got inspired here through his own experience. Do we know even if there was still use of psilocybin mushroom, you know, in the 11th century in Germany, in the church or in some part of the church, 
or is it something that he read somewhere that he saw somewhere on some text on some you know other prints or some some of his training that he knew that was something important and so he commissioned that yeah. there yeah he wrote i mean we have some of his speeches in latin uh-huh. uh when he dedicated the the church of saint michael whose construction he oversaw and we also have <coughs> biographies written about him in Latin. But mm-hmm. these were s- secret practices. As you probably know, in many shamanic traditions, including um, among the Mazatec, these were things that were only supposed to be spoken about at night in Velavas, and certainly not to be revealed to the general public. Mm-hmm. So we believe that the record that he made here in this bronze Christ column, and also the, the um, psychoactive mushrooms he showed in the Eden scene on these uh, on the door of salvation that he put at the front of the church, this massive bronze door of salvation, that he was indicating the importance of psychedelic mushrooms in these revelations mm-hmm. through the artwork. This became the medium of communication for the initiates. And there are five examples of psilocybin mushrooms in this Christ column. Now, what about scripture? All right. And here, there is no Christian art before the year 200 for many reasons. Poverty, lack of buildings where to make the art, persecution by the Romans. Mm-hmm. So what we had to do here is we had to go into the Bible and we had to go into the Gnostic Gospels, which were early Christian writings that were suppressed by the Orthodox Church. And here in the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, which was not written by Thomas, which is available online in the Nag Hammadi Library, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, compare me to someone and tell me whom I'm, I am like. And Thomas says to Jesus, Master, my mouth is wholly incapable of saying whom you are like. Jesus says, I am not your master. Because you have drunk, you have become intoxicated from the bubbling spring which I have measured out. He who will drink from my mouth will become like me. I shall become he, and the things that are hidden will be revealed to him. Now, what's amazing about this passage is we're talking about a drink. We're talking about becoming intoxicated, but not from wine, from a drink which I have measured out. And we know that dose is important. Mm -hmm. And here they're having a transpersonal experience where they're merging together and the things that are hidden inside, all right, heaven is within, the keys to heaven are within, are revealed. So this is an indirect reference to a psychedelic experience. Um, if we go into modern times and we ask, well, what about the priests of the modern church? We have not had much response yet from the Catholic Church uh, to our work. But here we have Brother David Stindel Ross of the Order of St. Benedict, who's written in modern times, if we can encounter God through a sunrise seen from a mountaintop, why not a mushroom prayerfully ingested? I mean, these are all of God's creations mm-hmm. so it has persisted um, basically you know in the background without you know most people really 
like you rightfully pointed out, because it was not put in the front of people. It's not like I was doing mass, you know, during where people were ingesting. It was more for the initiative. It was more in the background. But if you look for it, basically, you can find it quite dispersed all across Europe uh, up to the, the Middle East. Absolutely. And for people who want to look more, uh, there's our website, psychedeliggospels.com. Mm-hmm. We have a Facebook page, Psychedelic Gospels. And if you have questions, you can, uh, you can email me. Wonderful. And we put the links for those of you listening on the podcast. We put that on our descriptions and also on the blog post that we have associated with that on our website. So you can find uh, Jerry's detail. So Jerry, this is really fascinating. And um, I have a few questions, but one of them is what has been the reaction so far? I mean, you've been doing that work for many years and now you've been talking about it publicly for, you know, the past four, five, six years. What have been the reaction of the establishment in general? And um, I'm guessing there are some challenges there potentially and maybe some people are interested in And how do we come together here? Because that's really what I'm interested about is how, it's not about judging anybody's experience here, but how do we fusion together? How do we bring more support you know, to those experiences and to sure. even the religion as we see it? Yes. Well, um, fortunately, we are in the midst now of a, a psychedelic renaissance. And things that were known to the shamanic world and now are having a revival as ayahuasca gets spread across the globe, um, uh, iboga uh, uh, and, and other San Pedro cactus, etc. Mm-hmm. Also in combinations with the breakthroughs in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy that are being led by Roland Griffiths at Johns Hopkins University, also at NYU, also at UCLA, we are now seeing direct evidence that psychedelics uh, can help people with post-traumatic stress disorder, Mm -hmm. can help people overcome depression, can help people relieve anxiety uh, and and even fear of death. So now we are really seeing, if you'll excuse the pun, a second coming of psychedelics. And uh, perhaps the most well-known book here is by Michael Pollan, who was a very well-known author Mm -hmm. on food, who wrote a book and explored psychedelics, and he got on all the major talk shows. But what's important here also is that a major conservative Christian voice, uh, Ron Dreher, the editor of of, um, a Christian journal, uh, said, it's time for Christians to reconsider psychedelics. Psychedelics can heal people. We are certainly care about that. Psychedelics are demonstrated to recreate mystical experience, which is at the root of Christianity and all religions. So it's time for us to reconsider this. Now, it is a big step from recognizing that psychedelics have a rightful place in our culture and can help people to saying that Christianity has a psychedelic history. We have not gotten that response. My wife, co-author Julie and I have called for the formation of an interdisciplinary committee on the psychedelic gospels to bring together art historians, Catholic scholars, theologians, to independently review our work and the work of many other scholars because we're not the only ones who've documented 
the presence of psychedelics in Christian art. So we hope there will be a reopening, a return to our shamanic roots, and that Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, all of which have documented psychedelic roots, will also acknowledge these. We don't know how long it will be t will take. We're kind of like maybe the cathedral builders who start to build a <laughs> cathedral that might not be finished in their lifetime. Yes. But in a recent art, art article on entheogens in Christian art appeared in a special issue of the Journal of Psychedelic Studies called Psychedelics and History and World Re Psychedelics in History and World Religion. So there you will find all of the current documentation about psychedelics, not only in Christianity, but in a variety of the major world religions. Just go to the Journal of Psychedelic Studies, the current issue. Yes, because that's, uh, that's kind of my, uh, my segue question here before you know, we, we close this talk together, but this is something that I've seen in your book, obviously, but that has been documented in many other religions. So could you just talk about one story about that? I've mean, seen Hinduism and Soma, maybe there's something in another religion there that is quite preeminent. I mean, it not has hidden even in, in their scriptures. Sure. Let's talk about Soma, which is described in the Rig Veda, the oldest of the Hindu writings, the oldest of the Vedas. It's written down in the Sanskrit 3,500 years ago, coming down from a long oral tradition. The Rig Veda is a vast poem cycle of over 10,000 stanzas in 10 mandalas. And one entire book of the Rig Veda is dedicated in praise of Soma, which is at the same time a plant, a god, and the juice of the plant. When the Rig Veda was translated about 200 years ago into the English, French, and German, people marveled at the majesty of its poetry, but they were perplexed by what was this soma plant because it had no branches, it had no leaves, it had no roots, it had no seeds. What kind of strange plant? In his masterwork, uh, the ethnobotanist R. Gordon Wasson, who did pioneering work in revealing the roots of psychedelics among the Siberian reindeer herders, among the Mazatec, Maria Sabina of Oaxaca, Mexico, and um, also in the Greek Elicinian uh, mysteries. He discovered, and I believe, as do many others, convincingly documented that Soma is the Amanita muscaria mushroom. Mm -hmm. One of the compelling proofs here is that Soma can also be ingested from the urine of someone who's taken Soma. Mm -hmm. Because unlike all the other psychedelics, the muscimol and ebotenic acid in the Soma plant do not metabolize well from the body. And so it can be passed on through the urine. And this is why the reindeer herders put urine in flasks to attract the reindeer who also love the Amanita muscaria. So here we have at the roots of one of the world's great religious traditions, Hinduism, a psychoactive plant, Soma. They don't describe the plant explicitly because everyone knew what it was. They talk about it as the mainstay of the sky, the divine utter. And in the most famous verse of the Rig Veda, they say, we have found the gods. We have drunk the Soma. 
What can the malice of mortality, of death, do us now? This is one of many examples where you find, when you research it, psychedelics at the root of religions. And this is built on a layer of paganism and shamanism that has been documented in the archaeological record 10,000 years ago and is certainly part of humanity's um, history of most of the hunting and gathering peoples, our ancestors. Yeah, thank you for for saying that, Jerry. You know, one of our mission uh, at the sanctuary is try to bridge traditions. Yeah, we are shamanic centers and we use a lot of shamanic traditions, but we always want to bridge towards other faith or other, you know, spiritual practices, other religions. And happens that we are, you know, a couple of days after Christmas today uh, as we're recording this and that, yes, the story of the Siberian shamans and the Santa Claus, you know, image, this red, you know, dress man that is looking to this Christmas tree with his uh, balls in it uh, that are hanging, that are Amanita Muscaria and the flying reindeers, you know, that are in the story of Santa Claus. I mean, all of that, that story of Christmas on such an important day for Christianity, obviously, because it's been happened to be the, the birth of Christ, uh, at least how it, the story is told today. It's quite interesting that those stories are bridging right now on a very interesting way around that date that we are meeting, that we are talking today. So that's quite fascinating. That, that is indeed fascinating because obviously there's no mention of Santa Claus in the Bible. <laughs> so what is he doing showing up on, on Christmas Eve? And uh, we have a chapter in our book, The Psychedelic Gospels, on Santa, uh, the shamanic reindeer herder. Uh, and we also have a blog on our website, Psychedelic Gospels, that shows how every major theme of Santa Claus the red robe with the white trim like the Amanita muscaria mushroom, the being pulled around the world by reindeer, led by Rudolph, not the purple nose, not the green nose, Rudolph, the red nose reindeer, the flying reindeer. And the shamans, the reindeer herders, they, they gather the mushrooms and they dry them on the Christmas trees and the mushrooms grow under Christmas trees, they, their little spores, uh, pop up in the humus, in the decaying pine needles. So every major theme or meme in our modern Santa Claus story come, can be traced back to the Siberian reindeer herders and the Eurasian practices of uh, ingesting the Amanita muscaria as a pathway into the cosmic tree of life. Yeah, so, and, and I want to conclude with that, you know, for me, that's quite passionate about scriptures as much as I'm passionate about uh, psychedelic works and shamanic works. Uh, I can look back at some passage, you know, in the scriptures and say that was a psychedelic experiences. When God appeared that way and the bush went on fire, you know, and there's this vision or these things coming down the sky. So many passages of the scriptures could be looked back thinking, oh, those people were in ceremony. That's what was happening. And they were, you know, they had taken, you know, psychoactive mushrooms in that case. And because those descriptions read from the shamanic perspective, read from the perspective you were just mentioning, we can finally see maybe something is with even more meaning there. Say, okay, that's exactly what someone would experience if you were on those substances there. Yes. 
Uh, one of the articles and one of the most popular articles in this current issue of the Journal of Psychedelic Studies is by Danny Nainu, and it's called Getting High with the Most High. And it discusses the psychedelic references in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. including the burning bush, including the oils and the special uh, ointments. And we, we believe that those roots are also there as well. Wonderful. Listen, I could talk to you, Jerry, for probably the whole day. <laughs> Likewise. But I'm conscious about people listening to us. And also, you know, I, there's so much more in, in the books. And, you know, I really want to invite people to, to pick up that book, uh, The Psychedelic Gospels from, from Jerry Brown and his wife, Julie, um, The Secret History of Hallucinogens in Christianity. Uh, because if you're interested into shamanic work and into the world religions, because there's chapters that are not about Christianity in it, you know, there's chapters about other religions and all, like you mentioned about Santa Claus and many other things, but it's highly well documented. And that's what I like about it. I have to say, you know, there's a lot of research happened that I found this wall in that church, in that cathedral, in Osaire, you know, that was really coming to me. And to me, you know, in shamanic work, nothing is random. You know, I don't take anything that's happening to me or an encounter as just something that happened. I know spirit is trying to talk to me here. So it was not, you know, for me, uh, yeah, a random fact that here I am with this book in my hands, walking into that church that I just got literally a week before. And here I am discovering... Um, a crystal glass work on that massive cathedral. And then I look in the book and say, oh my God, it's not even in the book. There's also <laughs> those places. I need to talk to Jerry about it. And here we are. So thank you so much, Jerry, for sharing uh, all your knowledge, uh, really inviting people to, to look at your work. Uh, maybe, I don't know if you give conferences or talks around the world, but I guess, you know, maybe people trying to find you somewhere else or listen to your podcast or things like that. Yes. I, on our website, Psychedelic Gospels, you can uh, reach out to us mm -hmm. and we are happy to appear anywhere through podcasts, through um, the, the miracle of technology. And uh, if we can, if you bring us somewhere, we'd be happy to come and attend uh, as well. And I, I'm thrilled that you've had this serendipitous experience of discovery. So you, can, you know, Angel, the way that we felt as we started to discover these things and say, oh, this is really true. Thank you very much for having us on the show. Thank you so much. So this was, you know, our guest, Jerry Brown from the Psychiatry Gospel. And this is your host, uh, Angel Deer from the Sanctuary. Uh, we thank you so much for listening to us today. We hope you got as passionate as we are here uh, with that subject. Feel free to comment, to email us, to email Jerry, and to go visit his website. And we look forward to uh, having you on our next uh, podcast. And happy holidays to, to everyone. Same to you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Sanctuary Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, we're a source of talks about spirituality, personal transformation, energy healing, shamanism, and earth-based practices. For more, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. On the website, you can find out about our events, our retreats, healing offering, our spiritual blog, and you can also register for the newsletter. Again, visit thesanctuaryheal.com.
Till next time, this is the Sanctuary Podcast and Angel Deer signing off.